Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, I'll be joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric and I will talk to Jacob Rudner from Swamp 24-7. He will get into Florida's transfer portal exploits, talk a little bit about what the Gators might look like from a roster standpoint next season, why he's very high on Mike Hanlockton, and we will also break down a little bit uh, in in a discussion about uh, breakdown recruiting, in a discussion about Florida's 2024 board, um, and of course talk a little bit more about the Tyler Perry recruitment. So, hope you guys enjoy the show. Remember, as always, the Florida Basketball Hour podcast is brought to you by the Gatorverse, an exclusive community dedicated to connecting University of Florida fans and student-athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real-life experiences, giveaways, VIP events, and rewards, while athletes like Trinity Thomas receive a majority of revenue from the sales of their collectibles. To find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member in Lockermania, visit Gatorverse.io. That's Gatorverse.io. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, uh, Florida lands Tyree Samuel. I think um, that's probably the best place to start. Really, probably the, at least for me, the the centerpiece of of what Florida's front court will be uh, next year. Yeah, and I feel like even you know you just snuck in a take uh, right there for sure. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's 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 funny. I mean, that was something that I think got some some reaction um, from our last show um, when when I mentioned that I thought the Tyree Samuel was the exact type of player that I thought that the Gators should be going after. Not only did I think it was the exact kind of player that the Gators should be going after, I also posit that every high major team should be looking for the unsexy but productive starter at the high major level that continues to be overlooked. Um, that is something you see not just with Florida's targets in recent years. You see that all across the high major level. And maybe that changes with the Gators getting Tyree Samuel. And I think they're going to have a lot of success with him. And I think it's going to probably lead to more teams, um, but particularly the Gators, going after that style of play, player, the proven starter. Um, so um, I was really happy with this get. We'll get all uh, all into that um, on the show for sure. But um, I, I like that you said the centerpiece of the, the, the front court. I, I think that that's exactly the case. Yeah, I mean, at 11 points um 11.9 points 5.9 rebounds i you know i think we said last show when we were kind of scouting him if there's something to be picky about like maybe he could rebound better um but you're still taking a player from a great league uh and i think you know you may not think ncaa tournament results don't always reflect the strength of a league but, but it's fair to say this was a very good league where the national champion uh lost several games um, and Tyrese played well against Connecticut and his opportunities against them. He played, he started 50 games in the big East. So this is a, a far different type of take, uh, for Florida than, than some of the, um, past front court pieces that they've taken under the prior two, well, under this staff and the prior staff, um, you know, and I, there's not the health concerns that, um, you know, I guess we didn't know that CJ Felder had those, but they came almost immediately, so a little similar to that, um, but without any of the health asterisk. And so I think, you know, centerpiece of the front court is a, is a pretty fair take, given that he's a fifth-year player. We are joined now by uh, Jacob Rudner, 24-7 Sports. Jacob, um, Eric and I have talked a lot about on the last few podcasts. Uh, I don't know how he does everything that he does um, from covering the uh, baseball team and uh, dispelling all the rumors that Sully is in fact washed to um, covering the transfer portal and, and just uh, breaking story after story. Um, plus, you may have heard that there's a football program at Florida. So, uh, Jacob, welcome, man. It's great to have you. It's always a pleasure to be on with you guys. I, I always have such a great time coming on the show, so this is nice. 
Yeah, it is great to have you on. I selfishly uh, got you on last time when when Neil was unavailable, so we're happy to happy to have everyone um, on today. And you know, um, I've been mentioning on recent shows, um, and so people will know we're not just saying this, even when you weren't here. That I really think that you're you're the best in the game right now when it comes to Florida basketball coverage. So I think that, uh, like Neil mentioned, when you're also doing baseball and of course uh, football, um, yeah, it's 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 a lot. So like, I, I just want to ask you really quickly, how has your life, um, you know, covering covering programs over the last few years, how has it changed? Um, I'll say, you know, pre portal to uh, now in the portal era where uh, your Springs probably look a lot different than they did a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, first of all, I appreciate the compliments guys. It, it means a lot. Um, it's definitely a crazier time now that we have to do the, uh, the, the portal shenanigans and it coincides football and basketball, which is like the biggest nightmare to have both of those going on at the same time. Uh, but it's fine. I, I think that the, free agency like aspect that has now been introduced to college sports adds an element uh, not only that is interesting and fascinating from a uh, you know team standpoint and where players end up after certain off seasons and you know what their pursuits look like in order to further their careers but also the uh, the coaching strategy that goes into how you build your roster who it is that you're going to pursue uh, has changed so dramatically over the last several years in football and basketball uh, I mean, even in baseball, where you also can take advantage of the transfer portal. Uh, and it adds a, a fascinating wrinkle to college sports. So am I uh, way busier than I have ever been at this time of year? Yes. Uh, but is it with things that I find really fascinating and, and you know, truly uh, has reshaped the way that college sports work? I, I, I do think so. Oh, one, one question I have, and again, I swear we'll get back to basketball because we're a basketball podcast, but I, I actually have one more question that I, Neil, you're going to have to weigh in too. I'm going to ask Jacob first and then, and then I want you to follow like, so I'm, you know, pretty pure basketball guy. Um, I mean, I love football, but like, you know, in terms of my understanding of the sport, you know, football's or sorry, basketball's way, way higher. It is like shocking to me that the transfer portal is not a bigger deal in football. Like, I guess my question is like, why is it not a bigger deal in, in football? And like, do you think it's ever going to get to the point where it's like basketball, where you've got good teams that are, you know, essentially getting one third of their of their roster or of like playable minutes? Do you think it's ever going to like change and get closer to basketball where these high major programs that uh, especially like the not Alabama's and, and Georgia's of the world are going to just like retool with one third of like high level, you know, group of five kind of conference players? Or, or what, what do you think the, the future is of the portal for football, especially seeing, you know, what it's like in basketball? That's a great question. I, I mean, we look no further than Florida State right now. That That's a football roster that's largely constructed with guys who weren't on that team last year that they acquired via the transfer portal. And they're hoping that their success can be built on a foundation of leaning heavily on the transfer portal side of recruiting and, and going – you know, they still do a, a decent job on the high school side. They just landed a five-star tight end that they flipped from Georgia, which is, you know, nothing to, you know, to, to scoff at. But but certainly that roster is constructed via the portal. And so I do think that there is a, an avenue for football coaches to be successful in the same way that basketball coaches can. Where we're, we're in an era of college basketball where you can completely flip a team year over year and be just fine and, and, and go very portal heavy. Football, I don't think we're there yet. I think it's a much riskier strategy. The volume of total reps that are required from guys who weren't on that team last year uh, and have to, you know, kind of acclimate to a new system and learn new coaching and all those things is harder. There, there's just so much more to learn. And getting that chemistry is difficult as well. Do I think it's possible that we see teams start to find great success from the portal? I do. And I, and I really think that it's a huge advantage to be able to bring in however many players you need at positions of, of, of weakness to be able to bolster your roster with experienced players. There's, there's no trade for that. So uh, I, I do see football moving in a direction where we get more and more and deeper and deeper transfer classes. Yeah. I think that the NCAA to the extent that they can control things, Eric, um, and you know, I'm interested in if, whether Jacob agrees with this or not, but I think the NCAA perceives that possibility as well, because that was sort of the impetus behind the new legislation to limit waivers for second time transfer players um, that took effect, I think in February. Um, so, uh, and, and that was because of the, you know, 2000 players or so that were in the portal, what were the biggest positions that were in the portal? They were quarterback 
and wide receiver. So you had your obviously the most important position in the sport, and then you have explosive pay playmakers in a pass happy sport. Um, you know, and I think that is probably at least an acknowledgement from the NCAA that things are trending in that direction. I'm interested to see what happens with college football and playoff expansion. But again, we could do a whole <laughs> podcast on the impact of expanding the playoff to 12 and whether that changes the way that teams really focus on recruiting or if they focus on the portal, those teams at the fringes that are fighting for spot seven through 12, do they look more like Florida state? I just, uh, I, again, I, I know no one needs to listen to, to my football takes. That's why I just do a, a basketball podcast. But it's, uh, you know, people who listen to this podcast will know in basketball, I love extreme strategies being employed by teams that are, you know, clearly not in uh, in a position to win. I think like, hey, we just saw Fairleigh Dickinson, uh, you know, win a game in the NCAA tournament as a 16 seed using extreme strategies be- with both recruiting and the way that they played because they just knew, hey, we're, we're Fairleigh Dickinson. This what's got-. So I just like look at football and like, I won't say a program name, but if I'm, you know, not top eight team in a power conference. I, I'm just thinking, I've always just thought to myself, I'm like, man, why don't they just go get like the best offensive line they can get of all group of five. You know, I just, I just think what that's up, but we'll get back to basketball here, Jacob. Um, we were just talking about the Tyree Samuel commitment just really briefly before you um, got in. We haven't really gotten into too much about him yet. Um, but of course, like every other transfer, every other player that the Gators have pursued, um, you've been on top of uh, the stories on top of the recruitment. So can you just speak a little bit about um, when you first heard about the Gators um, contacting Tyree Samuel and uh, just kind of the, ev- everything, you know, leading up into the, Point where he committed to be a gator yeah florida did a really good job with that process and they leaned on a prior relationship that existed between carlin hartman and tyree samuel uh hartman actually recruited him uh when he was at oklahoma and samuel was a three-star high school prospect uh and so dating all the way back and that's four or five years ago at this point uh samuel has has ever since pretty much held hartman in high regard uh and so the second that florida jumped into his process that was who kind of ran point uh, for Florida in trying to kind of land him and uh, get him to want to take a visit and all those kinds of things. Uh, Hartman took a an in-home visit to Canada, I believe a week before Samuel was on Florida's campus for an official visit. Uh, and from what everything I've learned is that's kind of where it was sold. I think that uh, Hartman did a great job of connecting and kind of showing, here's what the plan is that we have for you. We foresee that you have a huge role Uh, In our team, we were missing somebody like you last year, uh, and we think that you come in and are immediately an impact player. Uh, They brought him out on campus and then hit a home run with the visit. So uh, Florida really, I don't know, had great competition in this recruitment. I know Wake Forest was kind of lurking in the shadows and trying to get him on campus, but this was Florida's to lose uh, for quite some time, and and they really just did a great job. As I can kind of say for the rest of the recruitments that they've gone about so far this portal season, they've they've just been dominant. They, They get involved. They know who they want, and they know how to sell exactly what it is the player will be able to do with this roster at Florida, and they did a good job with Samuel in doing that from the jump, and they locked it down quickly. Yeah, and so one interesting thing that Jacob and I, you know, breaking the fourth wall here, talked a little bit about was that that sort of wraps it up for Florida's front court in terms of of what they're doing and, and who they're pursuing, and so a guy that was sort of on the lips of Gators fans in February when Mike Bray at Notre Dame said he was going to retire was Vin Allen Lubin, who the prior staff recruited pretty aggressively. And what's happened is, I guess, you know, Vin, Vin Allen talked to Micah Shrewsbury. Should I stay? Should I go? After they hired him, sat it out, didn't get into the portal until late. And now, you know, a guy who played with Riley Kugel in Orlando uh, in, in AAU circles, um, a guy who had the same AAU coach as Riley Kugel and who was outside of Riley Kugel, the highest riser in the last 24 seven ratings last year as a freshman doesn't really have a, there's no space for him in Florida, but not just Florida. I mean, I talked to, to, uh, folks at Georgia and, and they would love him. They can't pursue him now. So it's an interesting situation that the transfer portal creates because these really good players, you know, Florida has has gone out and gotten really good players. I mean, I think Edge Jarvis being first has caused him to kind of not be discussed. And you're talking about a player who was top 30 in block percentage in the country, right? And, yeah. I, and again, in a good league. Um, so maybe speak to, to Florida's 
you know, their feeling about, about how they feel good about the front court. And just, you know, at this point, the focus is on roster balance. Yeah. I mean, before the off season even really got going, Todd Golden spoke to media members and basically said, we have two main objectives. The first objective is we need to establish size in the front court that we objectively did not have last year. And, and granted, I've, I've been saying this a lot over on the Swamp 247 message board, and I'll, I'll stick by it on the podcast here. Florida kind of got put into a difficult position from a recruiting perspective with the last class. They, they came in late. They did not have a complete coaching staff until after Final Four weekend. And they did not host a visitor until, I think, a week or two weeks after Final Four weekend, if I remember correctly. So Two weeks. There you go. Two, two weeks after Final Four weekend. That is way, way late into the process by no fault of their own. I mean, and, and I think one thing that, before I even get into answering your question, that has been valuable about this offseason is now we know what they can do with a full you know, swing at it. What, what can Florida do with a real crack at rebuilding a roster? Very impressive. Uh, I, I think they feel really good about what they did in the front court. Like I said, they were trying to establish size that they didn't feel like they had. Uh, you got a guy in seven foot one center, Micah Handlockton, who I think is fantastic. I, I, I personally view Handlockton as one of the stars of this class, just a really elite rim running center who I think has the potential to expand his role and his game in the SEC. Uh, and then you mentioned EJ Jarvis is a talented shot blocker, played in a good league in the Ivy League. You got Tyree Samuel, who's a strong defender, very efficient inside the arc, two point scorer with the ability to stretch things out and shoot from the three. Uh, Micah Handlockton, by the way, I should add, is somebody who wants to be taking more shots from outside three-point range. Uh, he was doing that in high school at a very successful rate and just kind of had to move away from it at, at Marshall. Uh, he told me directly that that was more a matter of confidence. He, he feels like he could have done it, uh, but things were working for him closer to the basket, so why change what's working? Uh, and, and it's just a group, I think, that competes at a level that last year's team simply couldn't. C.J. Felder was a fine player for Florida, but he missed a month. And that really threw things off. Alex Fudge was fine in certain spots, but got hurt with that concussion. Never really came back the same. Colin Castleton had to be relied on for crazy minutes throughout the year. Breaks his hand and leaves Florida without that massive presence inside the post. And then you have guys like Jatobo, who weren't really aggressive rebounders and you know it, not necessarily very consistent with their interior scoring and their aggressiveness, things that Florida really predicates its whole system around. And now you have a, a horde of guys between the transfers that they brought in, plus the newcomers, Thomas Hawk and Alex Condon, the freshman forwards who they also have signed. This is a front court that is deep. It is tall. It is aggressive in the rebounding front. They have several guys who are talented shot blockers. I think they have two of the top 25 shot blockers from last year in terms of shot block percentage. Uh, it's just a completely rebuilt unit. And so to your point, they moved fast. They found the guys that they liked. And they built a front court of guys who have proven results in good leagues, who have done well, at, at, you know, already in the college ranks. Uh, and, and they've rebuilt this team, especially in the front court spot. So uh, I like what they've done. And I think that they like what they've done, too. I think you might have even hinted at it there when you were talking about how good you think Handlockton is. But I'm going to see if you share the opinion of a lot of Gator fans um, on Twitter um, or if you, uh, you know, maybe could, you know, semi-confirm something. But you, you mentioned that the staff wants to get much bigger in the front court. Um, you mentioned that you think Mike Handlockton's a very good player, can stretch it out. And, um, you know, we know that Tyree Samuel is, of course, a starter from a high major conference. So I, I think maybe the general consensus out there is that, the Gators would would start Micah Hanlockton at the five and start Tyree Samuel, who played um, the last two years at the five for Seton Hall, but started his career at Seton Hall playing mostly the four next to Sandra Mamukelishvili, who is you know a massive center who's versatile. But um, like, do you see the Gators going two centers, or do you think that there's going to be any kind of I'll say competition for a starting five spot between Tyree Samuel and Micah Hanlockton, where they go maybe an EJ Jarvis or a Thomas Hawk for some shooting there at the four. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that Florida views Tyree Samuel as a four, as a big power forward. And I think Tyree Samuel views himself as a big four, somebody who's really more of a power forward than he is a center. And so I think they see a lot of synergy on court synergy between a guy like Samuel at the four and a guy like Handlogton at the five at the same time. If you ask me to predict a starting lineup right now with some things still kind of unsettled, I'd say it's probably Samuel four, Handlogton five in the starting lineup. Could that turn into a competition where they're working for the same spot? Maybe. I think that that kind of depends on how things shake out with the final two spots that they still need to fill and who it is exactly that they bring in. But in, in 
just looking at the roster right now and going through things logically, I would say that they aren't going to compete, but rather start together. I think it's uh, it's interesting to see like um, I, I will like I think 130 ish three point attempts for for uh, for Tyree Samuel throughout his his college career um, didn't take a lot of them um, again I'll take this opportunity to just say to our Patreons um, the Tyree Samuel video as well as the Watcher Clayton video um, will get released kind of trickled out in the next little while we need to space out some of this content but be interested for some people to see a little bit of Tyree Samuel but it's 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 interesting too because something I just want to mention and this could be wrong just a little bit of uh, um, I, I guess my, my opinion here, but I, I think it's almost, well, I, I think again, if you're selling to a center, every center wants to be a power forward. Every power forward wants to be a small forward and every shooting guard wants to be a point guard. So to sell someone on, you know, something there's often, you know, positional distinctions you've got to make, but um, I, I do think it's important to note that like Tyree Samuel is someone who was like a pure post-up guy at Seton hall you know, has taken 130 ish threes throughout his, his college career. But, you know, so it's, it's, it's one of those things that I know I differ from a lot of people, but I've always been of more of the opinion of when talking about basketball positional distinctions, I don't like, I, I would say they're, they're, the Gators are going to play two centers on the floor. And I would say that that's also what San Francisco did is play two centers. So you could say, Oh, they're playing Tyree Samuel at power forward, which, you know, sure, that's totally fine. But I think it's almost important to think about, like, with the style of play that there was at San Francisco, um, that they played two centers, like two guys that could post up. They would go high-low. They would have one guy setting a screen while the other ducks in, like, a center. So I'm curious if the Gators get back to to, to that style of play. Um, and, again, so I, I've just always been kind of, like, more of, like, the – I like the football mindset. Like, when, when you put two tight ends on the, on the field, um, people say, oh, there's two tight ends in this set. They don't say, oh, there's one tight, uh, tight end and a stretch tight end. They just say two tight ends. So I, I kind of feel that way about – if it is a hand locked in and Tyree Samuel. And again, we'll see if either of those guys is able to, uh, you know, stretch it out. But um, yeah, I, 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 I'm kind of interested. In, and uh, would you see Jacob, any, any issues potentially if like, let's, let's say one of those guys can shoot. Okay. And, and, and the other can, would you see any issues with that in the sec? Or do you think that there's some value in just the Gators playing a little bit of, uh, of power basketball and hopefully dominating the glass in a way that they did not last year? Yeah. I, I think you guys would know, you know, better than as well as anybody that this is a, a league where defense matters and size matters. And so to be able to go play bully basketball is effective. And, and we've seen that be effective over the last several years especially last year, there's such a strong defensive league where there weren't a, high, a whole bunch of high scoring games outside of two teams really that were really pouring it on. Uh, this is this is a team I think that can contend similar to that. I think that they are putting themselves in a position where they could go bigger in the front court. Uh, maybe you sacrifice a little bit of shooting, but you're going to be super aggressive shot blocking it around the rim. You're going to be super effective and efficient in your scoring around the rim. And if they, you know, continue to do a good job with building out their roster, which I don't see any reason why they wouldn't, uh, you also have guys in the system now who are effective and consistent shooters, which they also didn't have last year. And I think that is massively important to this conversation. They are surrounding big, powerful, you know, interior heavy guys with guys who are strong shooters. Walter Clayton is a, is a beautiful shooter. Uh, Riley Kugel towards the end of the year last year showed a ton of potential in his ability to pour on points. Will Richard ranked among the best shooters in the country last year in effective field goal percentage, especially from beyond the arc. So this is a group that can shoot it. And I think that there are less concerns with what is surrounding the front court as there were last year. And that will allow them not only to be able to be bigger in the front court and play a Tyree Samuel and a Micah Handlocked at the same time, but I actually think they make it look pretty good because you have the defensive and aggressiveness aspect surrounded by guys who are going to be able to pour on the points for you. Yeah. I mean, I think that the whole, and I would add Jarvis to that, you know, discussion sure. as well, just because of the way that, that he rebounds. I mean, one staffer after the, the hand locking commitment just, you know, pointed out, he said, you know, I think the two guys we brought in would have been the second and third best big on our team last year by a long distance. Um, which I don't think was necessarily a knock on work ethic or anything like that of other players. It was just like a pure, like talent observation. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and I think that's fair given again, CJ Felder's 
you know, sort of injuries and, and limitations over the last year and a half. You know, obviously he's a guy who who could go to McNeese State and play phenomenally if he's healthy. Um, but but I mean, I think the way that Florida has improved, and it's also just a schematic fit, as Jacob just said. That that's been the thing that that makes the most sense to me. I mean, Samuel's not as great a rebounder as as the other two, but I think he um is probably not probably he's a more effective defender than the other two, a more proven, certainly a more proven defender than the other two. He can switch. Um, so, you know, if he's not the five offensively, he can get down there and play in the post on defense. He can also switch out and guard outside at the arc um, gives them, you know, the ability to do a bunch of different things defensively, like, you know, Todd Golden wants to do. Um, and I think, that's really big too, because if he gets outside, Florida can go super big. If Jarvis is on the floor and he's on the floor, um, even if Hanlockton's on the floor, you could you could play six eight, six eight, and you know seven one at times if they wanted to against the teams like Miss State that just try to bully you to death. So I think it's really really an effective roster construction, especially with a ball dominant guard like Riley Kugel. And that's why you know maybe transitioning to the backcourt a little bit, Jacob. I'm a little less concerned than some people, and I'm interested in Eric's position on this too, but I think I know the answer that like, oh, well, Florida really needs to add another point guard. I'm like, I'm not really sure that's the case. I think that Riley Kugel is a really good passer. I think he's going to require the basketball to initiate offense a lot. And I think what Florida really needs is another creator, which they're targeting. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. I mean, I, I think that this is more of a find a guard spot than it is find a point guard spot, if that makes sense. I think that they need somebody who plays the guard position. And similar to the way that we're talking about, they like to go two fives maybe in their system. I see them kind of maybe liking to go two ones or two twos at times. And we saw them do that quite a bit last year with Myron Jones and, and Kyle Lofton on the floor at the same time, both kind of running a point guard-ish type role where they were the distributors and there were different sets that had both of them taking the ball down the court or being the primary point of, of ball handling in a certain play. They like to do that. And so are they looking specifically for a point guard right now? No. And to your point, I don't think they need that. So uh, yeah, I, I also would say that people are kind of ignoring the presence of Will Richard to a degree. Having Will Richard on this roster gives you a lot of protection in what you need. If you end up getting a younger guard or a younger wing in one of those two spots, He's a very easy guy to be able to slide back into the starting rotation and say, here's your three spot like you had it last year and go do your thing. Best case scenario is you can take Will Richard and, and put him off the bench and say, you're going to play starter minutes in a six-man role and your only job is to score the ball. So I, I think they're in a really good spot with the way that they've constructed the roster plus who they return. I think Denzel Aberdeen is in a position to maybe play a little bit of a role off the bench this year. Uh, and it just creates a much less desperate situation than I'm, than like you said, I think people might view it as. Uh, and, and so, yeah, no, I, I don't think that they are uh, in, in a desperate spot. I also don't think that they are gunning specifically for a point guard. Yeah, I, I think that, I, I, again, there was when when Walter Clayton committed Jacob, I, I, I kind of had mentioned that I didn't think he was great with the ball in his hands and that I thought he was someone who'd be much, much better off as the elite catch and shoot player that he was. And then, so I think a lot of people too kind of were tweeting at the show responding. They're like, Oh man. So the Gators like really need to get a point guard. And it's like, no. And I think that just, again, this is going to be tough for some, you know, maybe people who have a more traditional view of basketball, but like, I think people have to get kind of in their heads that like, while Riley Kugel will not be the smallest player on the floor, that doesn't mean he's not going to be like the point guard. And while he might be listed on the graphic that starts a game before tip of the starting lineups and he's, you know, at the three quote unquote um, that, he, you know, even though that might be the case, I think he's going to be someone that is going to have the ball in his hands the most and should have the ball in his hands the most. So like, I, I, you know, I, I asked you if you'd kind of give what you thought the starting front court would be. And you gave um, what I think would be the kind of consensus right now with Tyree Samuel and Micah Hanlocked in. I, I, I think that like, again, as the roster sits, as we speak on April 21st at noonish, um, 
I think it would make a lot of sense to me if it is Tari Samuel and Micah Hanlockton to then have Walter Clayton to then have Riley Kugel and then have Will Richard. You have Will Richard with the ball in his hands as your primary creator. And then you've got a truly elite catch and shoot player in, in Walter Clayton. You can handle it a bit. And then you've got a truly elite catch and shoot player in Will Richard. And then hopefully one of those front front court pieces can, can, you know, catch and shoot a little bit too. So um, yeah, I just, it, it, in my mind, I, I don't look at it as like, you know, point guard, you know, shooting guard, all that. I'm, I'm just thinking about like, who are your primary initiators and the guys with the ball in his hands. And like, I see that as, as Riley Kugel. So if it's like as currently constructed, Riley Kugel is a guy you can have the ball in his hands a ton. Walter Clayton's a guy you can have it a little bit. And like maybe Denzel Aberdeen's a guy that can have it a little bit. I'm not awfully concerned, especially with um, what you said that I think we all think there will be some kind of another guard coming in, probably not a pure, pure point guard, but someone who can certainly um, handle the ball. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting though, that you, uh, you, you mentioned the possibility of of, uh, of a Will Richard um, coming off the bench. Um, I, I think that that's something that has been theorized from from some people. But uh, yeah, well, we'll have to see um, it, it, exactly how this 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 final kind of spot um, kind of fills up. But like uh, w- when you look at Riley Kugel and someone that um, is you know probably going to be by most objective measures the best player on on the Gators going forward or at least best offensive player what do you think the like ideal like what skill sets do you think the Gators have gotten that that could that support his skill set well and what do you think they could maybe you know if they could get a little bit better with these final spots what could that be you know it sounds it might sound odd but I think that their work in the front court and their ability to really bolster that up is going to help Kugel tremendously it puts less pressure on him in terms of being able or having to you know put himself in the post in situations he's not necessarily designed for, which he had to do quite a bit of last year, just given the players who they had available and the size of the players who they had available. They played small frequently throughout conference play last year, where you have Richard playing at the four and Kugel having to help him at the three to be able to take that away and to go, you focus on being a scorer. You focus on running our offense and not having to worry about being our one of our primary offensive rebounders or being one of our primary defensive players in the low block. That is a huge deal. And I don't think people are necessarily talking about that as much as they should be. Their work in the front court has impacted directly the backcourt players, Richard and Kugel included. Their, their roles have changed. Their responsibilities have changed. And they are going to be able to play more traditional basketball to what I think they should be and want to be playing in terms of how their skill sets work. And that is a huge boon to a guy like Riley Kugel, who we know is a, is a very talented, skilled shooter uh, who can create for himself and create for others to be able to have that variety around him where there is size, there is scoring uh, there. He doesn't have to be the, the sole focus uh, and, and everything must run through him in order to score points. Like we saw when Castleton was out last year, there are options uh, and, and so to be able to kind of bolster the roster in that way, I see that as the biggest benefit to Riley Kugel's game. In addition to guys fitting really nicely with him and, and the pieces to this puzzle, I think, you know, having a connection that's quite seamless. Uh, I, I view just the overall uh, change in the construction of the group and how the 13 or 12 scholarship players will look come opening night. That will be the biggest benefit to Riley Kugel. Yeah, I think it's offensive rebounding too. <laughs> just, yeah, just, right. uh, it's, it, it, I mean, especially with with Richard and Clayton now. I mean, you know, ask anybody the best the best looks for good three point shooters come when you can clean up off the glass, and so Florida, you know, um, does that with with three guys in the portal. That's going to create more looks. I mean, I really do think like if there's a flaw in this roster right now, I think we all can look at it, and and they are actively seeking it in Tyler Perry. I mean, they need a second creator. Um, Riley Kukos really the only guy I think that scares a defense from a stress them off the bounce standpoint. I know Will Richard and all his people would argue with me and that's great. I'd love to see that next year. There's not film that, that proves that Will Richard's right. So um, we can have <laughs> that conversation when that film exists, but um, you know, that's, that's the thing that they need really badly. And, and Tyler Perry is is certainly that guy if they're able to land him. I mean, you know, played for the team that played slower than Virginia. Um, and when their shot clock uh, was about to expire, he was the guy with the ball that was asked to, you know, 
make the make the play and and get into the lane and create and pass and shoot and so he's a guy that can hit tough shots a really good tough shot maker I think would be you know a great addition to this team and the cool thing about Perry is I think he would accept a role wherever he decides to go um you know I don't necessarily think that he's looking to be you know Marquis Noel although I think certainly that's a selling point for one of the other programs recruiting him I think that you know he's a guy that's come off the bench he's won Conference USA sixth man of the year, and he's won Conference USA player of the year. So he's probably comfortable in in, in either uh, fashion. But Florida needs a second creator, whether it's Tyler Perry or someone else. And and to the people panicking about the someone else and where does Florida pivot, all I would say is that there are a lot of people in the portal still. Yeah. I mean, there, there are literally hundreds of options at the moment. And I think that Florida is in the process as we record this podcast on Friday afternoon. They're in the process of expanding that 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 board. And and that's not because they're not confident in their ability to compete for Tyler Perry. It's because they're smart. And they know that in the event that they don't land Tyler Perry, which is a possibility and nobody should discount it, they want to have options. And and I think part of the thing that's made them so successful in the portal so far is and they haven't really had to rely on it, but they have always had options. When Tyree Samuel was on campus, so was Ali Khalifa out of Charlotte, a, you know, a, a maybe not as desirable front court player, but certainly a very good option in the event that they didn't land Samuel. Uh, Jared Bynum was somebody who was on campus. I personally didn't love the fit with a guy like Jared Bynum at Florida. Uh, I think he's better off at Stanford. Do things go poorly with them with a guy like Walter Clayton and you have a very adequate pivot player? I think so. So, uh, they know how to protect themselves. They're in the process of making sure that they're going to do that in the, in the Tyler Perry sweepstakes. Obviously, that would be a, a phenomenal finish to the end of what has already been a very good transfer class. If you bring in a guy like him, who is a you know ultra ultra good shooter, uh, like you said, very clutch, good late in the shot clock, uh, somebody who is poised and and just very talented. Uh, you're never going to turn that guy down. I think if they get him, by the way, he would start. Uh, and, and just to go back to what we were talking about a second ago with regard to lineups, I think that the big thing with yeah. this team and the big discussion should not necessarily be who would start, but how many guys can start. I think there's that's right. very, there's right. two very different things. I think that the conversation should be the amount of combinations that they can create on the court with guys playing valuable minutes, be it off the bench or in the starting rotation. Imagine a, a rim-running duo of Alex Condon, who I think is going severely underrated, by the way, and Micah Hanlogged in at the same time. Imagine a, a, a duo of Tyree Samuel at the five and EJ Jarvis at the four. That's a that's a very good, very potent defensive pairing uh, with with offensive talent that can stretch the floor. I, I really like the way that they've you know kind of grouped guys together in a way that doesn't make you go, okay, he's going to start over him, he's going to start over him, but rather. Imagine what they can do when they put these this grouping of players on the court at the same time. And so I think that adding a Tyler Perry would give you even more of those types of options. And that's where I feel like Florida has been the most successful this offseason. Yeah, and I, I, I don't want to, you know, jump into Eric's spot here. So all I'll say is, yeah, I, I would agree that that Perry would start. I just kind of you you've stated better than you put it better than I did that. I think, I think that they have a couple guys in Perry and Will Richard who are the types of people that would accept the role. If, if they're sure. like, Hey, we need you to come off the bench. You know, Tyler Perry's going to say, Hey, I've done that before and been really, really good at it. Um, you know, I, I want to win. And then I think, Will Richard, he's at a point where he's comfortable. I'm sure with, you know, where his, NBA future projections are. And I think it's for him, it's about winning. So, um, you know, they, yeah, exactly. The ability to just play a multitude of combinations is, is the most intriguing thing about Tyler Perry, but I don't think the staff will be leaving itself out in the cold uh, in the event that, that Perry picks Kansas state. Uh, I mean, I, it's good. You kept talking. Cause uh, just for fun, when you're talking about like, Oh, like could the Gators get, you know, stuck outside without an umbrella. Um, I, I think like, uh, so over the, I just refreshed the transfer portal and over the last hour, um, there's been six players to get into the portal. One of them is a mid, I won't say his name. One of them is a, a mid-major guard that I wouldn't be surprised if the Gators like, you know, took a look at. And one of them was Damian <laughs> Collins from Kentucky. So like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, like uh, it's still uh, in late April, there is, um, you know, 
a, a high major guy. And there's also like still good mid-major players that could, you know, play a role. So um, just that's, that, that's a real time look to see like, you know, there's still, still guys um, entering the portal. Um, one thing I almost thought you were going to say Jacob and you didn't um, is um, a very, I thought you maybe you were about to go like very coach speak and say like, Oh, it's not who starts it's who finishes. And that's the one question <laughs> I would have with the front court of Tyree Samuel and, and a Micah Hanlockton is, could you imagine the Gators playing the final two minutes of a game? You know, I just mentioned a Kentucky player. So let's say Kentucky Gators are playing at Rupp. It's a tie game, say two minutes left. Do you see a world where you can play the two centers? And again, if that, that there's so like, that's such a bad question because you don't know who's on the floor for the other team. We still haven't seen how they play, but do you have any concern uh, or not even concern, but like, when it comes to the two, the two big lineup, do you think that that's still, do you, do you have any questions about that kind of lineup in crunch time? This is going to be a super cheap answer, but I think it's, it's all within the realm of possibility. I think that it is mm. dependent on who it is. There are a few things. I think that they need to finish out the roster. There are two roster spots that they still plan to fill with somebody. So we need to see who those people are. Uh, I think that, like you mentioned, it depends on who's on the floor against you. I think it depends on how the game flow has kind of dictated exactly how you want to play or who you want to play uh, at a certain time. So to answer your question broadly, yes, I think that that's within the uh, grouping of possibilities of who could play in a crunch time situation, close game, late clock situations. Absolutely. Uh, could they also be in a, in a situation where they need to go back to that small lineup that they used last year where you, where you slide a guy like Richard to the four and you play small and quick and, and have that extra three-point shooting on the floor, also I think that's a possibility. So so I would say that, yes, that there's a world in which uh, Samuel and Hanlockton is a good late pairing. There's a world in which Jarvis and Samuel is a, is a good late pairing. I think people kind of forget that Jarvis is actually a pretty decent three-point shooter as well. Uh, yeah. and, and so th there's just a lot of, there's a lot of capability within this group. And so I think that, uh, to go back to what I said a second ago, all of these things are possible because they have so much mix and match ability with the guys who they brought in. Guys are switchable. These guys are athletic. A lot of them play very quickly or are used to playing in systems that played quickly. Uh, and all of that will play to their benefit. And so I think that they are very uh, versatile. And to use a football term, they're multiple. They can, they can put different groupings out onto the field and make it look successful and be successful based on that mix and match ability. So, Jacob, our listeners will um, riot if we don't ask about uh, recruiting because the, like, one five-year complaint that Florida Basketball Hour gets, <laughs> you know, other than sometimes wondering why I hate microphones so much, um, I think that they they tend to, to, to DM and say, man, you guys don't talk about recruiting except in the summer, and that is so true. And it's really just because, like, we spend a lot of time like watching basketball and trying to break down sure. and like catching up with that aspect of it is just not something that either of us have a ton of time and or interest in doing. Um, so Florida was very aggressive in, in their 2024 board. And I think you alluded to it earlier really well when you said some of that was by necessity because of when they got here and when they were really able to start recruiting. I mean, they, they land, a guy who I think is extraordinarily intriguing in Thomas Huff, but they, you know, then with 2024, it seems like it's not just Flory Badunga. It's like everybody. I mean, if you are a top hundred player, Florida has talked to you, um, you know, and so maybe speak about the recruiting pitcher and and maybe if, if you want to dive into blue cane, great. Um, but, you know, it, I think our listeners would appreciate that. Yeah. Let, let's start with blue cane. Um, that visit went really well. Uh, by all accounts from everybody who I talked to and, and the process that I've gone through and trying to report on that. I have not talked to Blue Cane directly, full disclosure. Uh, this is a kid who's really in the thick of an official visit window uh, where he's going all over the country. And so it, sometimes these kids are harder to get in touch with than not. Um, that visit went well. I think it's going to come down to exactly what he wants for himself. Uh, he took an official visit to Georgia which I heard went well. He took an official visit to Virginia, which I heard went really well, uh, and then still has a visit to Penn State coming up. Uh, and, and so this is somebody who's very undecided, I think not only in terms of 
what it is that he likes, but also maybe what it is that he wants for himself uh, in terms of the college experience and the play style that he wants to put himself into. Uh, and, and so there's still kind of a lot to be seen with the blue cane uh, recruitment. And it's also why Florida is starting to talk to and look into, uh, you know, shooting wing guard type players in the transfer portal as well. So that's kind of a spot on the roster that it is still undecided. It does not belong to anybody yet. Uh, Blue Kane, to, to my knowledge, is not close to a decision at this time. Uh, and so that's kind of a wait and see situation. With regard to 2024, they're doing great. Uh, they are in the thick of it, as you said, with a number. My hair is giving me big problems today. Uh, <laughs> they are in, they're in the... Uh, they're in the thick of it for a number of, of top guys right now. You mentioned Flory Badunga is somebody who they love uh, and who has reciprocated that. He's been on campus now several times. Uh, he traveled from his home in Indiana uh, with his host family to a game in Nashville to watch the Gators play against Vanderbilt on the road. Uh, this is a kid who is clearly interested. And to my knowledge, his process is down to Auburn and Florida. There has been a lot of buzz uh, about Cincinnati. Could Cincinnati make a push at some point? down the line in the process and make it look like I'm wrong. Maybe as we're talking right now, I'm confident in my statement that it's really between Florida and Auburn. Uh, and, and so we'll have to see how that unfolds. Uh, Deedon Thomas from Las Vegas is a guy who they really love. And that is somebody who is on that reclassification watch. I will caution your, uh, your listeners though. Uh, a lot of people hear reclassification and they go, okay, great. We're going to bring in this 2024 point guard and he's going to be available to us throughout the 2023 season. That is not the case. Uh, due to the academic structure of Thomas's high schooling and how that all works to be able to reclassify, his first point of reclassification eligibility will be in January. So if he does commit to, uh, I think it's a couple different schools, Florida, UCLA is one of them. Uh, I believe Texas Tech is the other that's open to his reclassification or whatever the, the process is. If he does that, it would be likely as a red shirt and as, in January. So Florida would reserve a roster spot, which it intends to do because it's in the thick of that recruitment. Uh, and if he chooses Florida, he would become a part of the team partway through the season and we wouldn't get to see him until 2024. Uh, so, you know, another good situation for them. And there are others too. Asa Newell, uh, a Florida prospect who I'm sure you guys are familiar with, is somebody who they're recruiting heavily. Uh, and there are Nate, John Bowl. Uh, out of the state of Kansas, very talented center, seven foot one kid, uh, you know, shows a lot of promise. They're in the thick of it with him. Uh, there's, there are more, I'm just not remembering them off the top of my yeah. head. I think, I think the big takeaway though, is that they're, they are really talented in terms of recruiting. This is a very good recruiting staff uh, that has shown that they know how to uh, connect with players, how to uh, secure the commitments of players and how to really guide guys through the process in order to benefit themselves. And, they, and they've done a great job with that in the portal. And we're seeing signs of it going really well in the 24 class as well. And, and I would add that, you know, all I can add on this from, and this is, this is fun. It's fun to actually bring up recruiting because there occasionally is something that I know are here. And I know that they feel really good about Asinul, um because he's from Florida. Uh, he's not one of these Montverde kids that drops in from Chicago uh, or, you know, a place like that. They feel very, very good about that recruitment. Deaton Thomas is a super fascinating one because everyone thinks they have a chance from UCLA to UNLV to, uh, you know, the Gators. And so we'll see what, what happens there. But um, it is it is kind of interesting to see how competitive that is. And, and in terms of, you know, Badunga, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I wouldn't push back against Auburn or Florida at all. I know Indiana people thought that they – that he was a lock. And as soon as they, you know, took the best big man available in the transfer portal, it probably told you what they thought about their uh, ability to, to land him. So, you know, I think, um, you know, obviously it's, it's interesting to see Florida competing in this many, um, you know, high level recruitments. Again, it had been a couple years since that happened. And I think that that's something that also got forgotten a little bit uh, as Mike White departed is, is the level of player that they were attracting under the prior staff uh, was slipping a little bit too. It wasn't just the matter of results. Um, although, you know, uh, that's probably a conversation for, for podcasts that we've already had. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, first of all, Jacob, I mean, that's why it's 
you're the you're the best in the game. No one's getting that that Thomas insight um, from anyone other than you. But no doubt. That's, and uh, it's it's also I'm glad you talked about it too because like I'll, I'll be honest. There's there's two things that make me just roll my eyes every single time I hear them in recruiting. One of them is package deal when it comes to like two top 25 players that that play together because it just never <laughs> happens. And the other one is reclassification. Obviously, reclassification does happen, but. Um, it just feels like it gets tossed around for a hundred players and it happens with, with five. So I'm glad that you pointed out that it's not like, Oh, they get him a year early and you know, slide them next to Riley Kugel, you know, like it's um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit different here. So I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And uh, um, I, I do think something that's pretty fascinating with the uh, Badunga recruiting is just like, again, the fact that like, it seemed like it was a sure thing he was going to Cincinnati, which, you know, would be somewhat of a, of a surprising um, outcome for someone who's you know been a top 10 player for, for for so long but again it's like he's um while he's from indiana and or sorry he plays in indiana it's not from indiana he's from you know democratic republic of congo so um it's like it's interesting to see if like how that home 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 team kind of thing plays in there but it makes uh, that recruiting interesting and um the, the one thing i did want to ask you about jacob and i'll tie in high school recruiting with the transfer portal um something that the gators did this year um at least i'm going to um i i i, I will intuit i don't know if this is truly what they did but it seems like they definitely weighed in oh let's get guys with multiple years of eligibility left and not just go with graduate transfers whereas a lot of teams i think want to get old that's of course what everyone's talking about get old get old get old um and uh the gators kind of took guys that like you know, is, is, is Micah Hanlockton's best basketball going to be next season? Maybe, but they're probably looking forward a little bit. Will Walter Clayton's best basketball of his career be next season? Maybe, but maybe it's the after. Like the, the Gators, I think, really went after and valued guys with extra years of eligibility more so than a lot of other teams. Um, is And that's just me, you know, guessing. Do you think that's what the Gators did? And um, how do you think that kind of ties in, um, you know, recruiting these guys out of the transfer portal with multiple years and weighing um, – these, these, these high school targets such as in 2024. Yeah, I think you nail it. I mean, I, I think that this early in a coaching staff tenure, there's something to be said for uh, getting older and bringing in a guy like Tyree Samuel, who has one year left of eligibility, but there's also, or EJ Jarvis, who also has one year left of eligibility. There's also something to be said for establishing some stability within the program. And so maybe not putting yourself in a spot where you have to turn over all but four spots uh, in your, going into your third year with the team that's probably something that's very attractive. And so uh, being able to find the most talented players in the portal class who do have eligibility beyond the year that you're acquiring them for, Hanlogton, Clayton, you bring in two different freshmen. We'll see what happens with these next two spots that they're planning on filling with the roster. Uh, all of these guys can, unless they really explode uh, this upcoming year, all of them can return. And so that is a huge benefit to a school that is not only trying to you know, reinsert itself into the tournament conversation and to be able to push deeper into that and, and, and get back to, you know, the national title contending powerhouse that Florida once was, it also, that doesn't happen overnight. And that doesn't happen with rebuilding your roster every single year, possible as it may be with the transfer portal. There needs to be some carryover. There needs to be some continuity. And so uh, I think Florida has done a good job in not sacrificing the quality of player for the quantity of time, the amount of time that they'll be able to have him. Uh, at the same time, though, they are bringing in guys who, if they don't play their best basketball or they don't feel inclined to turn pro immediately, they can hold on to them and use them as foundational pieces for the following year. And we're talking Will Richard, Walter Clayton, uh, Micah Hanlockton, Riley Kugel, if Riley Kugel, for whatever reason, is able to come back for another season. I personally don't believe he will. Uh, Thomas Hawk, Alex Condon, uh, Denzel Aberdeen, Alex Simchik, all of these guys have eligibility beyond 23, 24. That is right. a very solid, I mean, you say it out loud, that's a good group. And, and you have no problem yeah. building on top of that group with experienced transfers, with the 2024 kids that they're pursuing, some of whom I think have that one and done, uh, you know, capability or potential. But that that is what I would say is establishing your foundation and looking beyond just, we need to be successful this upcoming year. No, they need to be successful for years to come. And this is one way to do it. So uh, speaking to the the package deal joke that, that Eric mentioned, um, you know, no, no better proof of that than another group of, 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 of 2024 players that were on Florida's campus in the fall, the, the Boozer brothers, 
Um, and, you know, I asked Caden Boozer <laughs> if, if he if was going to go where Cameron went. And he said, man, that's really, really unlikely. But if we did go to the same place, it would have to be the ultimate perfect fit. And so I said, Duke, and he just kind of laughed and uh, didn't answer the question. So um, I think <laughs> I think there's one universe or one institution where a package deal exists for even the Boozer brothers. So there probably is no such thing. Um, although, you know, uh, whatever we have to do to get RJ Jones on, uh, on, on Florida's campus, I, I am in, I'm in support of doing if, if the package is like a bag of basketballs that we send to the rock every day, I'm, I'm good with that as well. But, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. And it is nice to see Florida doing exactly what I think is, is wise to do in the portal and the programs that have been most successful with the portal have done that. Right. I mean, it's not just, um, Arkansas, but certainly that's been a method that's been integral to them making the second weekend three years in a row is that a lot of those transfers come back for another season and, and Florida will have the ability to do that. Plus what they're doing with, uh, with recruiting. So uh, I'm going to ask a question that is, is, is a little bit, I, I, I don't know, more difficult, pretty open-ended here, Jacob. So I'm curious where you'll, where you'll go with it. Um, uh, we just saw a final four, that had, uh, you know, not the teams that a lot of people would expect. Um, the Gators are, of course, trying to get back to that level, um, you know, hitting on a bunch of their targets in um, the transfer portal this year probably has some people, you know, really thinking about like, oh, could the Gators get back there? When you look at last year's Final Four, you could even say Elite Eight, you can take it back as much as you want. Um, is there anything that you think you can take away from the way that these rosters were built in 2023 that – um, that teams like Florida should be kind of looking at, or do you look at some of the, some of these runs from like a San Diego state and a Florida Atlantic and just think like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a random tournament. Um, these things happen. Like, do you think there's any takeaways from what was the most chaotic um, final four in, in a lo- in a long time and that the Gators should be trying to take anything away from that? Or do you think, yeah, it's just, it's just luck. That I think it's a great question and I will not yeah. even use my opinion to answer it. I will, let's just, let's oh. just talk straight from, <laughs> Let's talk straight from what Todd Golden said is the goal this offseason and then apply that to what you just asked. Todd Golden said, going into the offseason, that Florida needs two things in particular. The first, like I said earlier in the show, size in the front court, the ability to be able to secure boards on the offensive glass in particular and use that to create second-chance opportunities, clean up the glass and don't get dominated on the defensive end, and and, and continue what they, they already showed is that strong you know, interior presence that they had with a guy like Castleton. That was priority number one. We can check that off the list. They've done that. That, I would say, and I think we can all agree, was a common denominator among the teams that were most successful in the tournament this past year. They had size. Look no further than UConn. That was a group that had a whole bunch of great front court options. And we got to see those guys dominate in Gainesville this past year as well. So that was a team that was successful based on size in the front court. That's the first thing. The second thing that I think all these teams had in common, particularly guys like FAU and San Diego State, Uh, is what Todd Golden called usage. Uh, And what he meant by that was the ability to score late in the shot clock when things break down, somebody who you can go to and and feel confident in their ability to convert a contested late shot clock shot. Who are you going to finish possessions with? All of the teams that you mentioned had a guy like that. Look at Kansas State with Marquise Noel, elite finisher late in the shot clock in uncomfortable situations. Uh, and we can we can do this over and over and over again. That entire FAU roster, to, in my opinion, was phenomenal late in the shot clock and especially from beyond the three-point line. Not only did we see that in the tournament, we saw it here in Gainesville, and it worked here in Gainesville. Florida is now constructing its roster to be able to align to those two things. Size in the front court, usage in the back court, guys who can shoot and guys who can rebound. If you, it sounds It sounds basic, but the reality is if we, if we look at what was in common between those teams, the ones that made the deepest runs into this year's tournament, they checked those two boxes emphatically. Great three-point shooting, great late shot clock or late clock in general shooting, and the ability to secure rebounds on both ends of the floor and protect the rim. Yeah, I mean, the one that didn't was Miami, and they had Norchad Omier, who rebounded like he was seven feet tall, uh, even though he was six foot seven. And they probably had the two best tough shot makers in the in the NCAA in the final four in yep. in Wong in Pack. So like if you can do that, uh 
you know, you can overcome that. And FAU, while somewhat undersized on paper, I mean, all of those guys rebounded. So, you know, I mean, that's how they, I mean, how did they beat Tennessee at their own game? Essentially it was just, you know, Tennessee did not understand why six, four, six, five guards were pounding them on the glass. And, and that's what happened. So, you know, I think, I think that's really well said, Jacob. And and you feel like, obviously, I think we can all agree that, that they've checked the first box and, you know, I think they are targeting the right people to check the second box. It's just, uh, you know, as, as often happens, it's, it's wait and see time. And I, uh, to be clear also, I, I don't think that their ability to check the usage box is dependent on a guy like Tyler Perry. I think if you get a guy like Tyler Perry, you're in phenomenal shape, which right, is different. Right. Like you, you, you take the team from really good to great or even excellent with a guy like Tyler Perry in the fold. Yep. But I don't think that they're straddling a line of tournament or not tournament or decent and good. I think we're talking the difference between like good and really good or good and great. Uh, and, and I think that there are multiple ways that they can accomplish that and still stay within that range. So I would say that, you know, you evaluate the guys who they have on scholarship in the fold already, the 10 players who they have. This is a team that is checking those boxes already, both of them. Uh, can they get better in the usage department? Yes. Are guys like Tyler Perry available to really make them elite in the usage department? Absolutely. But are they in a bad position as we speak right now and record this show? No, I don't think so. And so I, I like what Florida has done to protect itself to date in both categories. And I think that they have put themselves in a position where they will succeed. But now it's just a question of how much can you succeed? How good can you really make this roster? And a Tyler Perry can go a long way in dictating that. Yeah, I, I was going to just, just really quickly, I know we're coming up on an hour here, but I, 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 um, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I did mention earlier in the podcast and I mentioned on this podcast um, that again, I, I, I think Walter Clayton is an elite spot up shooter. I don't think he's necessarily elite in that create space, create shots um, kind right. of category or usage as, as we're talking about Jacob, do you see, do you see that differently? Like, do you, am I, am I wrong? Do you think, are you a little bit higher on his, on his creation? Because that would just be the one thing where like, I don't think the Gators are in a bad spot from that, that kind of standpoint, but like, I, I, I don't know if I like, yeah, I, I wouldn't check that box yet, but if they got Tyler Perry, it would be like a big, big check mark. So, so what are your, what are your quick thoughts on, on Walter Clayton from a, from a usage standpoint? I just think he's such a good shooter, which we've all agreed on already. I think that he's such a good shooter that that does check the box. I, I does Are there questions with his ability to create for others with the ball in his hand? Maybe. I, I think that that, like you said earlier, Eric, could be something that we still need to kind of wait and see on. But his ability to be a shooter is proven. Uh, we, we've seen him be an effective shot maker in his own right. Uh, I think that that, plus you have guys like Kugel and Richard, and Aberdeen, uh, and then some of the guys in the front court, particularly Jarvis, uh, maybe even Shimchik, who showed the ability to stretch the floor really well. Uh, these are the guys who I think put a check mark in that box already. And again, I think now the question is more how how big do they make the check? Like you said, it, with a Tyler Perry, huge. With a backup option to Tyler Perry, probably not as big. But I but I don't think that they're in a spot anymore at this point where it's a question of check or no check. I think it's checked off how great can they can they become in that regard. So I it's not a concern for me to answer your question. I love this. I love the like little areas of dissonance. Like and maybe I'm just reticent because you know Florida had a number 1 portal class a few years ago under a different staff and entered the year in the top 5 and yeah, COVID canceled the NCAA tournament. So we will never know what might've been with that uh, eight seed that Florida was about to get, mm. uh, you know, who knows, maybe they would have hit on all cylinders in the second round and, and <laughs> advanced anyway, you, you will, we will never know, but you know, I am a little worried about the lack of a second creator um, right now beyond Riley Kugel. I just don't think that Walter Clayton is a creative player or an explosive player that doesn't take away from his ability to make great shots, you know, and tough shots. It doesn't take, away from the fact that I think he has a good mid-range game. Um, and I think his range makes him a little bit of a creator, right? Because he extends defenses, but I'm still a little concerned about that. Um, but, you know, Jacob's been on top of all this other stuff. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe he's more right than I am. That wouldn't surprise me 
in the slightest. And what I know is that Florida isn't done. They're going to go and get another guard, and we'll see what the roster looks like then. Jacob, it is awesome to have you, man. I appreciate it. Why don't you tell everybody uh, where they can find you on Twitter and all your uh, writing, obviously, is at 24-7 on a variety of sports. Next thing you know, Jacob will be dropping dimes about gymnastics, too. Who knows? <laughs> um, so I, I don't know when is you the, sleep. Is there, is there a transfer portal in gymnastics? I, I'm sure it, there is. Victoria, Victoria Wynn was a transfer. Okay. There you so. go. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm locked in. I need to check this out. Check out some portal, some gymnastics portal coverage. <laughs> yeah. I, I, first of all, guys, I, I appreciate what you guys do so much. And, and I, you know, would be remiss to not at least say before I shout myself out that uh, you guys do a great, you know, great job here. And, and it's always such a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, if you're looking for my basketball coverage, uh, it's over at, at swamp247.com. I mean, I'm writing about it pretty much daily at this point. Uh, I would encourage your listeners who I, I actually think would probably enjoy this. Uh, I've started a new series over at Swamp 247 called Inside Hoop. Uh, and it's where we're talking about insider basketball stuff uh, and pretty much everything I know. I'm, I'm, it's a notebook on all the intel that I have at one time. We're hoping to do it multiple times a week. Uh, this past episode, or our first edition actually, of, of Inside Hoop was about uh, Tyler Perry and a couple notes on recruiting. Uh, and then today, actually right after I get off of the show, uh, we're doing an inside hoop answering Florida fans questions. And so if you're listening to the Florida basketball hour podcast, and that's something that you're interested in, uh, I would encourage you to sign up for swamp two, four, seven, because that is a subscriber only item. Uh, but that being said, yeah, that, that, that's really it. Twitter is at Jacob Rudner. I'm tweeting about basketball all the time too. Uh, and we would love to, uh, to see everybody join the conversation over on our message board. And, and of course, uh, inside that inside hoop, uh, series, which again, I think your listeners in particular would really gravitate towards. Oh yeah, people are going to eat that up <laughs> for sure. For this, <laughs> this thing that. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Jacob. We appreciate you. Thanks, guys. It's just going to say I was going to let Eric send us away. It's always good to talk to Jacob, though. Oh yeah, I'm not uh, too much of a host here, so I realized I probably should have just closed it out when I said uh, goodbye to Jacob. But yeah, we appreciate him. Uh, appreciate him greatly. Um, it would be very easy for him to, uh, you know, come on and, you know, not want to share his knowledge because it's all behind, uh, you know, what his, what his work is regularly. So we appreciate him, uh, being so open, um, bringing that insight. Um, he's someone you, uh, you definitely have to be following with their recruiting stuff for sure, especially this time. So we're thankful to him. Um, but yes, thank And we're thankful to you, the listener. Thank you for tuning in with us. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.